I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome to yet another edition of In Game Live, where we're giving you the edge right here on SportsGrid. And a happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. I'm Dane Martinez. He is Jared Smith. And Jared, I mean, I know we are in very unique times, but, you know, like, what really is the delta of what's going on? Because on the one hand, I'm not gathering, I'm not seeing friends, but we've been talking about a growing excitement that at least we're on the precipice of maybe getting back to some normalcy in the sports world, as relatively speaking, of course. No, I mean, I think we, we've reached that point now, and... You know, we, we've talked about it this week, and, and unfortunately, the, the sports side of this equation is becoming more and more a political stance by the day, whereas some governors were more open to it. Now more governors are becoming more open to it, and, and I've been saying for weeks, we're going to have sports back in this country uh, when Governor Cuomo says we can. And, and in this case, you can add Governor Newsom into that mix as well. And guess what? They both said June. So that's great. Now we're almost to June. It's Memorial Day weekend. We get past June 1st. We can start gathering again. We can start having practices again. We can start getting these facilities open for business. And then we can start that six-week ramp-up clock, which, from what we're hearing, July 15th is kind of this day now that's been thrown at us by Spencer Dinwiddie and, and his, uh, his, his spies, his, his little right. sea of birds, the sources that he has— uh, that has singing that are singing him these songs. I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones guy, but the Master of Whispers. I am not. Uh, I but sure. <laughs> it's it's Spencer Dinwiddie. He knows the exact date that we're gonna play again. So now okay. we can really start to work backwards from that. And if he's right, well, we're less than two months away from July 15th and getting at least the NBA back. Yeah, fair enough. Remember, though, as every sport, whether it's Major League Baseball, the NBA, or the damn women's soccer that we were talking about yesterday, I believe that as we go from the vague to the detailed, that's also when we start to get pushback and opinions aplenty from all the stakeholders. I'm with you. I hope that by our next kind of national holiday, we are celebrating action on the field, because then I'll be able to bet on it, Jared. But I do want to, we're going to be talking about all sorts of issues today. Today, right? Mostly in the NFL to once we get ahead of it so that in the NFL, you know, you could, you know, get some early numbers and make a little bit of cash. And one kind of piece that I think is really interesting, I wanted to get your thoughts on. We're starting to hear these proposals, right, from competition committees, and we focused on things like minority hires in the NFL. But another rule that may be changing that I think is very intriguing is around the onside kick, Jared. I wanted to talk through that with you. You know, this is something that was gaining steam 
about a year ago, and then I haven't heard about it. Now with the pandemic, we're maybe more more apt to experiment. And uh, what we're talking about is the idea of instead of the onside kick, teams having an offensive play, all right, to determine it. And and the backdrop is this, Jared. You know, a few years ago, you know, the they changed the rules for player safety around the kickoff, right? Yeah. And those guys up, you know, up and down couldn't get the head start. Right to yeah. make these violent collisions on kickoff return. Well, what it also did was take away their chance at getting down the field quick enough to recover an onside kick. The onside kick has gone from roughly a 15 to 20 percent proposition to like a 5 percent proposition. And we've seen that over the course of the last few years. And so this element of the game has, in essence, been neutered. Right. So they're coming up with neutered. this. How are I'm serious, right? I'm it's a good word for it. I like that. It's a good how, word for it. So how can they bring this back? And they're like, hmm, and all of our data, and that's what I know you are very much into, there's like completion percentages of every down and distance in the NFL, right? And we know that. We see that. It goes into play calling. Should we go for it on fourth down? Well, it has been determined that, in essence, fourth and 15 is around the same value proposition of what the onside kick used to be. You put it at the 25-yard line, boom. That means getting to the 40, the same yard marker that with the onside kick, it would have to travel the 10 yards for it to be live. So we're talking about the same thing, trying to bring it back to the same competitive balance with all of the nuances of the game. Now, of course, there's going to be some flaws, but what's your knee-jerk reaction to this? 100% on board with it. Love it. Really? And and, and even, even, even... I'll even raise you one. So we actually have definitive data from this. So sure. between 2002 and 2018, teams converted fourth and 15 about 17% of the time. I said 15 to 20. I was close. You were close. You were, you were, you were, you were perfect. Give me you a range, middle. baby. Give me a Give me range. range. Whereas the onside kick recovery is about 13% historically. There you go. So I, I would say this is a better alternative. Whereas you're right. The onside kick has become very sterile in a sense. Uh, we don't know who many, how many players can be on one side, and there's right. so many little nuances. And most of the time, even when they get recovered, there's a penalty that calls it back. You remember that Falcons-Saints oh. game? They did like three consecutive onside kicks. They recovered the first two of them. This was that Thanksgiving night game. And it, it's just such a fluky play. I want to – and also, you know, so take out the flukiness of it. If you were going to ask me the most exciting play of the game is the onside kick, really, because at that point, it's like the, the end of the right. game. If, if if the onside kick is failed, the game effectively is over. So really, the onside kick is the penultimate climax of any time it is done in a situation. You get your best people on the field during the times when the games are on the line and the onside kick. The game is on the line. I want my quarterback. I want my multi-million dollar stud on the field. And from a fan perspective, I want to see that guy more than I want to see some stupid kicker. You know, I, I, so I, I love the idea. I think it's not only going to get implemented, but I think it is going to become a very intriguing part of the end of game operation as we now dissect live betting, how we handle halftime bets. It will change the operation a little bit. I like my chances with Patrick Mahomes on fourth and 15 more than I like Harrison Butker to, you know, get the ball to bounce perfectly right, an odd-shaped ball hitting the ground at the perfect angle so it bounces up and my guy can recover it. I think it's a great idea for the NFL, and I'm all for it. Do you think it neuters the fact that there are three three uh, facets to the game, you know, in special teams, because that's what they've tried to do it from a strict data perspective. I like that you broke out this, you know, the exact percentages, right? And as I tried to frame it, they are trying to mimic the same value proposition. There's precedence for this. Remember when they moved back the extra point again in the special teams game, right? They toyed with it in the Pro Bowl or in preseason, right? Because they were saying, hey, these guys are banging this in now at a 90, 95% clip. We're going to move it back. And we saw the data that, you know, the 30 or 35-yard field goal was an 80-whatever percent chance. That's what the game is intended to be. So if I was a purist out there, right, and we're talking about the NLDH and all this stuff, if I was a purist out there, what about the idea of special teams once again being passed by as the NFL evolves for the millennial attention span. You said it. it everything evolves. 
I mean, do you want to go back to baseball back in the 30s when it was? I then created? said the millennial attention span. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's <laughs> I, I think I think overall the games that we're loving need to evolve over time. Sure. And and unfortunately, the onside kick has become a very dynastic approach to special teams. They've dissected it to the point where it's not even what the original onside kick used to be. Right. And now we're moving past special teams as an area of importance, not so much on the punt side but definitely on the kickoff side the kickoffs the kickoff returns everything that the kicker is involved with has changed mm -hmm. because that if you think about it is the longest distance of any play when the ball is kicked off that is the longest that any 11 players or I guess 10 players the kicker doesn't run will sprint down the field at any one time and it, it creates yeah you know violent collision. It, exactly violent collision. and so there and same thing is, is in effect with the onside kick you've got yep. Five players on each side that are just a mass rolling into each other. I think the game's evolving. I think the game has absolutely evolved past the onside kick. It's such a broken and sterile play to begin with. I have zero faith in my team being able to design something to get the ball to bounce in the right way. Like I said, if you were going to ask me with the game on the line, who I want with a chance to win it or come back to win it in this case— I want it in the hands of my quarterback. I, I, you know, I want fourth and 15. I want Patrick Mahomes. I want Lamar Jackson. I want Carson mm -hmm. Wentz no, to be enough. able to make the play to get my team back into the game. I don't want David Akers or, you know, mm -hmm. Harrison yeah, Butker yeah. to be that guy that determines the game. So I think we've evolved past the kicker having an impact on anything but field goal. All right, so you talked about the evolution of the game. We were excited when we even saw this in the XFL, right? The changes that they made in terms of reducing, say, that collision in the kickoff, of course. What about, you know, it's not just a kind of car blanche here, right? There are elements to this plan. For example, you will not be able to do this when you're winning. Um, that is part of the plan as well. There is a maximum amount of That's times important. that you can do that, <laughs> right? So I'm talking about the actual game here, okay? Here's the other element of it. You're lining up in a different way. Most onside kicks in this day and age and for the history of the NFL have been surprises. Now, instead of your kickoff, your offense is coming onto the field. So this play is, A, no longer a surprise. And I would say, you know, we talk about the Saints in the Super Bowl going with an onside kick. And the idea of how the surprise element of this is a piece. And the fact that, you know, you can't do this when you're up. Meanwhile, you could have tried to do that when you were up. And I've seen examples of it in tough divisional matchups. Um, the idea of the surprise not being there is something I want to get your thoughts on. And then when we come back, you talked about, you know, the betting impact. To me, this screams about changes in the backdoor cover potential, in changes no. when there is a hook. What about the idea of the surprise element of the onside kick and it's your offense on the field instead of even lining yeah. up for a special teams play? I mean, there's an element to that that I think has some value. I think the other thing to keep in mind, this will be a timed play. Whereas unlike other situations with onside kicks, that is an untimed play. So say there's five seconds left in the game, you might have to run the onside kick and then recover it and then have that one Hail Mary situation. Whereas if you ran the fourth and 15 play for the onside sure. kick, well, then the clock would run out. And then it doesn't matter if you recover it or not. You make the fourth and 15. You're not going to have any more time left on the clock to do it. That is another element to keep in mind. Also, the two-minute warning could come into play. Say there's 2.01 left. Sure. If you run the play, then it's on the other side of the two, and then you give it back. So there are some elements there. To, there are some strategic elements that don't just make this a blind, all right, we're definitely going to do the fourth and 15 wow. and not the onside kick. And again, all of those things, you got to keep those in mind when you're handicapping a game. Yeah, absolutely. Over here, Jared wants to neuter the value of your favorite special teams, Coach. But hey, we'll see how it rolls. We're off and running. Snip, snip. We'll talk about the backdoor cover and the implications of this when we come back. Dane and Jared in Game Live on SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, welcome back into In Game Live here on Sports Grid. I'm Dane. He's Jared, and we were talking about the implications of potentially a changing rule in the NFL, the idea of no longer the onside kick will look like a special teams play. It will look like an offensive play, all right? And whether you kind of are a purist for the special teams game or like it because of the evolution of the sport, the fact of the matter remains that it has an impact on what we're talking about in betting markets. You know, Jared, I think about it. We've talked about the kickoff game and how I mentioned, you know, the XFL did something right for the idea of player safety and that's yeah. what the that's what the new onside kick was supposed to be right so these guys weren't running and co- creating these collisions and then the ineffectiveness of the onside kick became a ripple effect of yeah. other- Okay, and that's that's exactly how it went down. I also think, though, about other changes that the XFL has made. Jared, remember when they tried, like, oh, with four minutes left or whatever it was, that the clock would stop on every play, giving you a chance to come back, right? And that's what this kind of rule would do, increase the chances of teams coming back. So in the betting markets, when I think about things like a backdoor cover, or in the betting markets, when I think about games that are at three and a half, or seven and a half, or ten and a half. With this rule being implemented, those are the areas that I think may be kind of ripe for discussion or ripe for some fluidity because of this rule change. Am I crazy? No, I think everything's on the table here. I I, I applaud the NFL for kind of thinking outside the box with some of this stuff. And I think they I think the 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 onside kick rule, to my knowledge, Dane, it's been something that's been discussed pretty pretty like eloquently over the last couple of years. This isn't something that's new. They've tweaked the rules a few times. So I think overall it makes sense to continue to try to evolve the game. I, I'm, I, I think it's a great idea, and I, I do applaud the NFL for trying to change the mechanism a little bit. Again, it's all about getting your better players on the field, kickers or quarterbacks. You tell me who you want with the ball in their hands when the game's on the line. 
No, fair enough. On so, so what's the impact then? So where is the impact now that this rule change may, you know, we're discussing it, it may happen, you know? Yeah. So whether it's good for the fans or if it's more exciting, okay, let's put that yeah, aside. I, I think that's what's what it is. Impact? I think that's the impact. I think the impact is you get to you get an opportunity to have one of those exciting plays that you might not get normally in, in the run of mill of a game. So are you less likely then to lay seven and a half points? No, I don't think I'm less likely. But it will change what I do in the live situation. Okay, it's so you see this time, in the live markets. Change. Yeah, it, it could change what, how I approach live betting a game late in the third or fourth quarter, whereas the back door might be open more. Sometimes you want to avalanche those favorites if they're on a roll, especially in the second half. I might be a little more hesitant to jump on that train because knowing they, that a team has this option still. Yeah, knowing that a team with a really good offense could get hot and roll off a couple of these if they're down. Say a team's down 21 at half. Maybe you're not as bullish on the minus 18 that gets hung up there for the live line than you would be. Betrictions about the time of game where this can be done, if it has to be in the fourth quarter or later. But say, for instance, you fall behind. You know what's a great example of this? this you remember the onside kicks ever been have to be in the fourth quarter, though? That would be another yeah. dramatic change it would if that be. was part of this rule implementation. It would be. Do you remember the, the Broncos-Seahawks Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if if Peyton Manning had the option after scoring? I remember they scored one touchdown in the first half, and or it was like early in the third quarter, and all of a sudden they were only down like 20-ish. Yeah. You give an offense like Peyton Manning and that very prolific Denver Broncos offense that season, you give them a chance to run a fourth and 15 and get hot and get right back on the field, keep the defense not rested. So it could change the dynamic. So I think in bigger spread games. Right. That's what I was talking up, about. Yeah. But not seven in the hook. Seven in the hook. If if, if you're betting a seven in the hook, you, you, you think that team's going to win by two scores. And if something happens late to kind of upend that, well, that's unfortunate. I think where I will really look right at this. Right back in the live market, right? Isn't that a place where seven and the hook, it late in the third quarter does really matter? And that's the exact difference? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends on, the, and a lot of it too is situationally dependent. I, I'm not going to blanket statement this and say, oh, I'm not going to bet favorites anymore because of this, or I'm not going to bet dogs of this size because of this rule. I do think it matters more in the live markets because in the live markets, you have a better grip of in-game situations and how each situation can affect the next play. Whereas pregame, when you're betting a seven in the hook, you're hoping that there is no onside kick. They're up by three scores, and that's it. The game's over. You win your bet. Obviously, there's going to be some backdoors that are going to be created because of this, but I don't think I'm changing my strategy. Okay, so I I, got to dig into this even more, Jared. So in the live game market, right, um, Team A, who happens to be a bad team, but they got a prolific offense, okay? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers of years past, really bad defense, right? They're down by 10 in the third. They're down by nine in the third quarter, right? You have in the live market, aren't you more apt to give them, that kind of team, a chance to come back now, given this? Um, Or a team like, uh, a team like Kansas City, in any point in a game, when they are down, right? You were saying it yourself. You'd much rather have Patrick Mahomes because let's look at the raw numbers of it, right? We're talking about the onside kick as whatever, a 17% proposition. Now they're doing it this way. Well, there are plenty of teams in the NFL where this is more than a 17% proposition for. The conversion of this new onside kick is. So when you are seeing one of these teams down 24-21 in the fourth quarter. You're telling me this is not going to impact the way you view them in the live market when they have this increased threat? Yeah, I think it depends on the situation. I really do. I think the situation really does matter. And again, you're talking about a team that has a bad defense. They could give up two more scores in the third or fourth quarter. So, so what are the contours I, of this? When you say there's certain examples, like what are the kinds like I said, of examples so you're there, looking for? There are for? moments where a team's up, 50, say they're up 14 nothing at halftime. Yeah. Yeah. And you're getting seven in the hook in the second yeah. half. Well, I might be a little more hesitant to to lay seven in the hook knowing that this is out there. Maybe not a lot more hesitant, but maybe I would need another score where I until I feel comfortable with going into the live markets. I don't think this is going to affect me at all pregame. Okay. I will not make one decision pregame that will have the onside kick rule come into effect. But if I'm making a bet at halftime or later, 
then yes, then I can start to dissect that game a lot right. more specifically where I can envision a scenario where the onside kick rule affects whatever I'm betting on. Yeah, that, to me, is the mechanism for when this would affect the game and actually yeah. how I bet on it. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. You know, I mean, we last year had pass interference as a challenge, you know, and, and going into it, they didn't really fully account for all the ripple effect implications of it. I wonder how this winds up coming to be implemented and how you and I and all these other betters out there can get ahead of it. It'll be very interesting to watch. Another piece of news that we saw that ties into something I think we can start to dig into and attack. Did you see Sean McVay this week, Jared? You know, we've been talking about the RBB3 is something I've mentioned, this idea of the committee being out there. And he came out and said he loves all three of his backs. He loves all three of his backs, Jared. You know, he said he likes, um, you know, the rookie. He likes Henderson. He likes that he has Malcolm Brown. And I think this is going to wind up yet again being a committee. And it's even clouded more, Jared, by the fact yeah. that Todd Gurley, who was there, right, is now gone. That takes a huge piece of the pie away. And there's just so many situations where with that pie gone, we don't know what the case is going to be. First, though, on the Los Angeles Rams, how do you think this plays out? They bring in Cam Akers. They have Malcolm Brown. They, you know, like potentially Henderson, who they drafted last year. How do you think this ultimately shakes out? And are we going to hear coaches left and right being like, I like all my backs? Yeah, I think that's going to be the answer. I, I love the situation for Cam Akers. Pro Football Focus says it's the fifth best rookie running back situation in the entire league, and I, I agree. I mean, you think about what the Rams are at their core, especially post-Brandon Cooks. They're not a much of a deep threat team like they were the year that they were really high-flying, where Jared Goff was chucking it all over the yard. I do see them kind of you know, sucking it in from a from a risk perspective as they try to reevaluate where Jared Goff fits into this offense long term, because obviously he's going to be a part of the equation. Uh, the math with his contract it, it speaks volumes about where mm -hmm. the, the Rams are kind of stuck with Goff for the foreseeable future. So now they have to kind of, uh, you know, navigate and, and build an offense around what his strengths are. And I would say Jared Goff's strengths are moving on, you know, throwing on the run a little bit, but for the most part, play action underneath Cooper Cuff. They've got some decent tight end. They got a couple decent tight ends to throw to as well. And they don't really have those deep, those deep threats anymore. I envision this offense much more in a box this season. Mm. And I think Cam Akers fits very nicely in that box. I think he's the perfect complement uh, to the other two backs that they have. I think Akers might end up carrying the mail before uh, it's all said and done with the Rams. And, and he will be high on my list. I know you've already started your list uh, of rookie, uh, you know, running backs, receivers, huh? skill position players uh, that could have an impact in the fantasy football markets as well. And, and, and the props markets. And I would certainly put, uh, all of the Rams running backs, but especially Cam Akers on that list of kind of overachievers early on. I think he's going to get a pretty heavy workload. He's used to a heavy workload. He had it at Florida State, and he's been able to do that successfully over the last few years of his college career. And I think it fits in nicely to what Sean McVay is going to do. And again, Jared Goff, they have just enough weapons to, to keep you honest. But mm -hmm. I don't think they're a very dangerous offense right now. I just think they're an average offense. And I think Akers could really make some hay. I think he's you know, one of the best playmakers on the team. I really do. And I, I, it's not for me about the skill of any of the players. For me, it's about this larger trend that I've talked to you about before, the idea that it's not a timeshare anymore. We have three guys on these teams, right? So you said in the same sentence, Jared, you said you actually like all three of these Rams running backs, right? And then talk about, but Akers is going to get the biggest workload. I think... Every situation is further clouded when you have three instead of two. The roles just by definition become a little bit less defined, and that's a trend we have started to see. We talked about it with the Indianapolis Colts, bringing in Jonathan Taylor when they already had Mack and Hines. We talked about it with Green Bay, bringing in A.J. Dillon when they already had Jones and Williams. We've seen it with the Jets, bringing in Gore and P. Ryan. It's a three-person committee. I find it interesting, and we'll see who becomes the workload. One thing I do know for sure, Jared, is that when we come back, we're going to dig into which teams have a lot of workload up for grabs, right? We were doing a little bit of the digging. We've seen a little bit of data into what teams, in fact, have a piece of the pie 
to be claimed. And I think that's something very interesting in this conversation about which of the three Rams backs, or when you look at it in fantasy, these committees, you got to look year over year where there is more opportunity to kind of grab the brass ring. Volume equals production and equals fantasy goodness. So when we come back, that's where we're going to dig into which teams, the Rams are definitely one of them, right, without Todd Gurley. We are going to dig into which teams have the most carries up for grabs and who might those running backs be that are taking that on because then we may find the fantasy diamond in the rough. That's what we're on the hunt for when we come back. It's In Game Live. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to In Game Live here on SportsGrid. We are giving you the edge. And you know, Jared, for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about things like, oh, in Philadelphia, maybe they're going to add McCoy. Maybe they're going to add, you know, Hyde. In Seattle, we talked about yesterday, maybe they're going to look to add a Devontae Freeman or a Hyde or a Lamar Miller type. There are people out there, and, you know, the running backs that are out there are are looking at this, right? Because they're saying, what is a team that I can land on where there's production to be had, where I can not just be uh, a backup or a the third man in a three-person committee, which does seem to be in vogue these days, creating yeah. nightmares, Jared, for the fantasy owner. It really does. You know what I mean, Jared? Like, there are not many positions. Like, name a team that doesn't have, like, 
an automatic knee-jerk reaction first-round fantasy running back for you, right? That's not like Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, the names you know that will be gone off fantasy draft boards real quick, right? Are there any teams that are not two or three dudes these days, I really fundamentally believe that is going to be a huge trend, but I digress. What we have seen are, you know, what piece of the pie is left out there? We were talking about the Los Angeles Rams, and Jared, that's a big one, right? Todd Gurley represented almost 60% of the carries for the Rams. And that is why maybe you like Cam Akers, right? Because there's just such a huge chunk of the pie that is up for grabs. Number one in the NFL in this vein, I find very interesting because we're talking about names like Carlos Hyde moving on, Lamar Miller moving on, right? And it's the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans have 58, almost 59% and almost 50% of their red zone goal line touches that are gone represented by Carlos Hyde. It's all a game of musical chairs, right? Lamar Miller, also gone from the last few years. They have Duke Johnson, but they're bringing in David Johnson. So with the fact that all of this is kind of gone and it looks like belongs to David Johnson, is that a boon for his outlook? Yes, if he can stay on the field. Sure. It's funny, we're, we, we're going to have one of these situations where you're going to be reading the Yahoo game tracker on Sundays, and you're going to see D. Johnson, touchdown Texans. Sure. You're going to be like, which, which one? one? <laughs> which one? Which one? Uh, so I think David Johnson will get the or DA period. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I think you're gonna get. I think you're gonna get David Johnson the majority of the goal line carries. I think Duke Johnson is gonna get a big boost in his production workload as well. Then you've got some other really random names in this Texans backfield. Let me let me read you a few. Yeah. Buddy Howell. Okay. Uh, Karan Higdon. And sure. Scotty Phillips, not Scotty Pippen. Alfred Blue is the real question, right? Alfred Blue, 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 Blue. I think he was in Jacksonville. He last time with Jacksonville yeah. last year for a game or two, but I'm just saying, like, there's so not many. Scotty Pippen, Scotty Phillips. So, again, <laughs> the workload in Houston is up for grabs. I think if you're a David Johnson fan or if you're a David Johnson backer in the prop market or in fantasy, I think you're going to have a better-than-expected workload if healthy. But that's the issue for me with this Texans backfield. And I think this chart's interesting for two reasons. First of all, I think this chart is very interesting from a betting perspective, especially in the prop market. When we're looking at the prop situation early on in the season, again, later in the year, the books have had a chance to adjust to whatever's happening workflow-wise. But early on in the season, it is a crapshoot. And if you feel like you have a slight edge on that crapshoot, then you have a big edge on what the house is going to give out to you in terms of a line. And what I mean by that is the amount of carries. That is yep. how the prop market is determined. It's carried by yards per carries. They multiply that number and they spit out whatever they give you. Well, if you think that David Johnson's number is going to be a little bit higher early because they need, they need to fill this carry load yeah. and they're not a, fully accounting for how much work David's going to get, well, then you've got an edge on the house early on in the season. You should be betting David Johnson overs, either in rushing yards, yep. rushing attempts, or just in to score a touchdown. And I think overall, the, 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 this chart is interesting for that. The second reason why this chart is very interesting, it gives you a pretty clear-cut kind of diagram onto which teams might struggle to run the football early because they're replacing a big sure. chunk of their rushing attack. I think the Chargers are going to be one of those teams. I really do. Now, how Austin Eckler kind of recovers that, is he able to carry the mail? Or do they right. need to find another situation with Justin well, Jackson where they can get everyday carries? Well, remember, and, and this is a guy you brought up to me, and it's another one of my RBB3s. You mentioned Justin Jackson. You mentioned Austin Eckler. You know, they did add a third running back, and it's a guy you mentioned to me a few weeks ago. It was the kid Kelly out of UCLA. Yeah, and, to be, and to be quite honest, this exact theory is why I have Kelly higher than most yeah, in terms of my rookie ranks because of this opportunity being there. So, you know, you were talking about Cam Akers, right? I'll mention the kid Kelly out of UCLA as another place where this fits. And I'll tell you someone who I think is a big time winner out of this. You know, you mentioned David Johnson and yes, the prop market may be friendly to for David Johnson early on in the season. The same kind of thing holds for DFS, right? Early on in the season, these guys may be lower priced, right? If you're talking about them value in the prop market, you think they're gonna go higher, same kind of thing in DFS. I'll tell you another player that I'm looking at because they are on the 
this list. I look at Tampa Bay being on this list, Jared. Okay, and Tampa Bay, you know, cast aside uh, Barber, right? That is what the 52 kind of percent of this is. And in this situation, it was Barber and Ronald Jones, an ascending like third, second, third year back um, out of USC. And he, anyway, Jared, was starting to get more and more of the work, right? As a young back, kind of getting bigger. No, not dissimilar to what we saw out of your boy, Miles Sanders, towards mm. the back of the year. Not dissimilar to what we saw out of Devin Singletary in Buffalo. Not dissimilar to what we see out of a lot of running backs in the back half of their year. Rojo, free Rojo, starting to get more and more. They lose Peyton Barber, right? Um, so pieces of the pie up for grabs. But even more here. Okay, because Tampa was supposed to be a team that maybe was in the conversation of adding a running back. They did have a running back, but it was later on in the draft, Jared, and it was the kid Vaughn out of Vanderbilt, who is definitively a kind of PPR third down pass catching back to be part of this picture. Okay, so for me, that also means when I see half of the goal line carries gone. Yep. That ain't going to Keyshawn Vaughn, no. all right? That's staying right there home with Ronald Jones, okay? So when I look at Ronald Jones, if you want to get ahead of that in the prop market, his rushing touchdowns perhaps, or in fantasy, or in DFS, I think Ronald Jones stands to reason because of part of this graphic and because of, like I mentioned, you know, the Chargers brought in Kelly. In this case, the Bucks bring in a kid Vaughn whose role seems to be pretty clear when you're talking about the chunks of this pie. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the percentages of the inside the five because right. I think that is another huge sure. part to this. And you look at that chart and you look at the top, the teams at the top of that list. We talked about the Chargers there also on accounted for carries, but Frank Gore with the Bills got so many goal line touches for Buffalo last season. And is that going to switch to Singletary? Or is Zach Moss or TJ Elding going to grab those carries? 61% of their inside the five carries. That's basically, you know, that's that's six out of ten. That's a lot. So you're talking about an increased level of production from a from a scoring perspective. One of those Buffalo guys is going to get those touches. I just don't know which one it is. So that's an interesting one to take a really close look at if you want to talk about touchdown percentages and yeah. you want to talk about touchdown props. The Buffalo Bills have a lot of, of work to do in that spot. A couple of other teams on this list. You mentioned the Bucks, Rams as well. No surprise there. Texans. Uh, and then the Kansas City Chiefs. I I'm guessing LaShawn McCoy got LaShawn some interesting McCoy. goal line. Yeah, he got yeah. the goal line carries from last year. And you're talking about an offense that's by the goal line a lot. Well, the Chiefs, there's 40% of those goal line carries that are going to go to somebody else this season. That is another interesting one. If you think Edwards Hilaire is going to be a part of that, great. If not, Damian Williams might need to be a little higher on your draft board and a little higher on your prop board, knowing that there are goal line carries to be had in Kansas City. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're they're talking up Clyde Edwards Hilaire, yeah. you know, to no end, right? I don't know if that's the role a guy like CEH could play, but knowing that, again, it comes down to there's there's a chunk of the pie out there, okay? And that's that's what you can use. You know, I also think this illustrates um, my point on the backside of this, mm. okay? On the bottom of this, okay? One of the lowest teams, on this list, Jared, is the Green Bay Packers, okay? Um, there are one less than 2% gone, right? Because Jones is still there. Williams is still there. All of their inside the five carries in production is still there. And yet they still went and got A.J. Dillon, right? So it was not, we talk about this as a luxury pick. This, this articulates it. To a T, Jared, yeah. right? They did not lose any of their production, yet they still used their second-round pick to add to the committee. I think that is evidence of the evolution that I'm talking about with the RBB3 and similar, although not to a drastic extent, with the Indianapolis Colts. Listen, you know, only 5% of their goal line carries or touches or whatever are gone. How about the Ravens? Only 12%. There you go. Only 12% of the Colts, you know, rushing yards are gone. Yet they get one of the top flight backs in the draft. You mentioned the Ravens as well. Zero percent gone. Jack. 
And right. how good was their rushing offense last season? It was season? an all-time great offense, especially via the run, especially under center. And so they still, however, think it important to add to the committee. Same thing and with that's the Jets, it. too. Yeah. That's they what they I'm got saying. Frank Gore, and they had zero. So I'm glad you brought up the there other end of that scale. Because, of this, both sides. Yeah, there's there's two sides of this. It there's proves the my B3 point. A hundred percent. I agree. Listen, everything that we've said over the last couple of weeks about the running backs and how that game, how that, you know, game within the game, so to say, is very much evolving. We're talking about the onside kicks evolving. The running back situation in the NFL is so different than what it was five years ago. I mean, it's 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 definitely the most changed position group in the NFL over the last five years because of the amount of carries the big guys get compared to the little guys, that number is shrinking. The gap between the haves and yeah. the have-nots is shrinking, making it a lot harder for you as a gambler, fantasy player, whatever, yeah. to make the right call with which running back to play, to bet yeah. on. Do I go with the receiving prop? Do I go with the rushing prop? I like receptions for certain guys, for certain right. running backs. That's a fun prop too. But it makes it so much harder knowing that there is no – Gaps to fill. You mentioned those teams, Jets, Ravens, Packers, zero, basically zero production to fill yet. New faces are added to the mix Yet worth high end draft capital. How yes, do you still- make? Yeah, exactly. How do you handicap that? Exactly. It makes it very hard for us to handicap that because right, well- we just don't know which direction these teams are really going in. Absolutely. I'm going to tell you when we come back on the other side of the break, the way I'm going to adjust to it at least for fantasy football drafts, all right? You want to stay tuned for that. We continue the conversation. It's in-game live right here on Sportsman. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! 
And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into In Game Live here on SportsGrid. I'm Dane. He's Jared, and we've been looking into, you know, the impact of things like the onside kick being changed in the NFL, the impact of the movement of players around in the offseason and what that leaves behind in terms of pieces of the pie. We talked about that in terms of how some teams are loading up on their committees. We talked about that, how some teams have, you know, there's carries and production up for grabs. And we've been talking about it in the prop market, in the daily fantasy market, and in the season-long fantasy market. And I mentioned before the break, I think this only solidifies for me, Jared, that when I'm in fantasy drafts, I'm going to go running back, running back, if I can, right? Mm. Because here's the deal, right? After we get to the top, and this is the game we're going to play, I don't know, call it eight, nine, 10 running backs. I want to know when's the first place where even that guy who's pretty high up is in something of a timeshare committee, <laughs> you know, where there's some legitimate other factor uh, piece of the pie that we don't necessarily know because the way it'll play out then, right? When I'm in rounds three, four, five, give me my wideouts and tight ends there and I'll return to the running back market. When it's a crapshoot anyway, when I'm picking one out of a committee of two or three anyway. Meanwhile, I understand the level of wide receiver I may be eschewing by this strategy, by not getting, you know, whatever it is, by not getting Mike Evans in the second round, by not getting Amari Cooper in the third round, whatever it is. But I, we've looked at these rankings. There are wideouts in the third, fourth round that are still going to be, you know, game wreckers for me. So it's just fine. So with that approach, I want to ask you, how many running backs in the fantasy ranks do you think we're going to get to? that have kind of like workhorse roles? Hmm. I would say at least five. All right. I can come up with it's five right now. Actually, no, I'll go with six. No, you know what? Wow, there's actually... I could I could get to eight. I'm looking at right now what I think might be it. I, I, I could make a case for eight horses right now. All right. Okay, eight horses. The man says, okay, I believe you think there's a horse in Carolina, right? Horse in Carolina, horse in New York, horse in New Orleans, right. Dallas, horse in Minnesota. Sure. And and Minnesota, sure. Is there a horse in Tennessee? Yeah, I put him okay. on that list too. Is there a horse in Cincinnati? Mm, that's my fringe, but yes. All right. <laughs> and, and Philly well, was my so other far. one, I think. Where? I think Philly, Miles Sanders. Philly, we talked about it last week. They're looking to bring in guys. What do you I, mean? I, I mean, I, I, still think he's, I still think Miles is going to get 20 a game. All right, fine. I'll give you that, right? But to the point, when running back eight is Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is there, when yeah. running back 10 is Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, oh, yeah, and A.J. Dillon is there, where running back, like, 12 is literally Austin Eckler, right, who you were talking about. We, we, we mentioned Kelly. You talk about Justin Jackson. When literally what we would call a quote-unquote RB1, is faced with this, and you have to talk about, you know, you mentioned what, you can get to eight or nine, now reasonable people could disagree and call it seven, call it nine, sure. call it ten, right? Now think about, those guys are going to be gone by when? The middle of the second round? Yeah. Right. Therein lies my point, right? And so why am I going to take a running back in round three or four when it's going to be one of these guys that is going to have a timeshare, a committee, some unknown, when I can wait and get the back end of that committee or throw more darts at the wall later on. I'd much rather, at that level of my draft, we're talking about round three, let's say. Let's say I'm lucky, right? And I wind up with Saquon Barkley, and on the turn, I get one of these last running backs, okay? You know, then what we're talking about is later on, I'm going to go, I'm going to fire back to back to back on wideouts. And I'll wind up with something like Adam Thielen and Cortland Sutton and Cooper Cup. I'd much rather invest the draft capital of Cooper Cup than any of these running backs that are in these kind of committees that we're talking about that we're going to see once the horses are gone. So my priority, Jared, is I'm going to get these damn horses. 
You know, it's funny because I, I do the fantasy draft every year. I'm only in one league. Maybe I'll be in another league this year. Maybe I'll get the invite to the Sports Grid League. But usually my league has three wide receivers. Right. And that's why I tend to err on the side of R, WR early, yeah. and RB later, because I know I'm only starting two compared to three. And if you're not set at wide receiver in my league, you're not set because there's three of them that you can but start. But as we so, evolve to a passing league, there are more and more. It's a supply and demand game, Jared, right? There are less supply of workhorses, yeah. and there's more supply of teams where even their second or third best wide receiver is fantasy viable. 100%. That, that you, you totally nailed it. You get to a certain point in each league, and everyone doesn't really have the ability right. to do what they need to get done for that production level. Right. And I think overall, the production level of the guys we're talking about, those seven, eight guys, is first-round talent. Yeah. Injuries is another crapshoot. Oh. That's another thing that I really have trouble with sometimes is the injuries. Yeah. Uh, and you, you know, sometimes you you have a good year. Sometimes you have a bad year. There's really no, mm -hmm. uh, there's really no way to handicap it. It's just you, the luck of the draw. I, I, I'll take a hard look. You know what? Maybe if I do another league this year, I'll do one where I do running backs first. But usually I'm the opposite. Usually I'm receivers first, uh, and then running backs later. And I, I won the league two years ago. But that I was because I had Patrick Mahomes in the 10th round, well, and that that'll was why. That'll certainly help you. Yeah. That'll certainly that, that, help That was why. I don't think it was running backs that what year. What we're doing here, though, Jared, remember, is we're trying to get ahead of it, right? So whether yeah. it's the onside kick, whether it's these unaccounted for carries, we're talking about the evolution of the game and how to get ahead of it. And one thing that I think you could say from a kind of objective perspective is with this evolution, as you describe it, the pool of horses – are drying up okay and if you got to kind of admit that however you want to approach it go right ahead I think one of the ways for me is I'm going to be looking to be in the back half of round one close to the turn so I have a good enough chance to scoop up two of my horses if I can go to war against your team and I've got two of these nine horses and you only have one I think I can make up that gap by finding a wide receiver later on and, you know, and the gap there between my second horse and the guy you got is going to be the bigger delta. And that's the way I think I might go ahead and approach it. But, you know, then again, you get Lamar last year and it don't matter. Yeah, right? you get so, Patrick Mahomes two years ago. Absolutely. I got him in the I think I got him in like the 10th or 11th round. Like mm -hmm. it was late. Yeah, I mean, that's why you wait on quarterback. You Every year, if you wait on quarterback. But I digress. A very interesting conversation, you know, to see how these evolutions, you know, how you can get ahead of it to win your leagues and win that cash. Jared, switching gears, though, here, I would be remiss if we did not talk um, about the unfortunate uh, news that we've gotten where uh, NBA head coach uh, Jerry Sloan has passed away at the age of 77, you know, and I'm just coming off the last dance and seeing those kind of Utah teams in the finals against Michael Jordan. We made a little bit of the joke about the pizza. But, you know, when you take a step back, Jerry Sloan, a transformational coach in the NBA, I think his tenure with the Jazz, you know, is unparalleled pretty much in NBA history. And unfortunately, we've lost Jerry Sloan at the age of 77. Yeah, it is unfortunate, and I, I think the timing is a bit interesting with you know the the way that the last dance kind of came out, and 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 now all of a sudden the last dance ends, and literally days later, uh, yeah. Jerry's dance ends, unfortunately, and and he's one of the longest tenured coaches in NBA history. Uh, growing up in the eras that we grew up in, we remember those Jazz, the uniforms. Yeah. I wish they'd bring them back. My guess is they do some kind of memoriam to him. Maybe they name the court after him at Utah. Right. Uh, they'll do something. Uh, locker room, something uh, to kind of uh, memorialize who really, if you think about what the jazz franchise were, he was the franchise. I mean, he was the patriarch of this franchise yeah. in terms of bringing it to a level of, of consistency uh, and credibility. And, and so you tip your cap and, and, you know, we've all gone through losses in some way. Uh, we've all been touched in some way over the last two months by, by, by loss or death in, in some capacity, uh, and and obviously this was a sad day uh, for the NBA, sad day for the Jazz family. We wish Jerry uh, and and his family uh, all the best uh, as as they try to pick up the pieces from what obviously is a really tough day. He was sick, so I'm not saying it's the biggest surprise in the world, but it's always sad when we hear this news. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, so here at the network, here at In Game Live, we offer offer our condolences to obviously uh, the Sloan family and to the Utah Jazz family and to the NBA family. You know, um, another kind of uh, blow 
here. You know, Jerry Sloan, one of the titans of coaching, obviously Kobe Bryant earlier this year, and, uh, you know, everything that has gone down here in 2020. You know, I, I saw something on social media, Jared, uh, this idea. It was a picture of Back to the Future of Michael J. Fox and uh, Lloyd, you know, and they were sitting in the DeLorean. And he was like talking to uh, McFly and saying, listen, the first rule of using this, never set it to go to 2020. <laughs> um, and it almost feels like, you know, we are almost halfway through this year. We're entering Memorial Day weekend. And I don't know about you, but, you know, Memorial Day weekend to me is barbecues, getting out and seeing friends yeah. for the first time, you know, over the spring. I, I, I looked at my schedule. I'm already in things like spring rec leagues. You know, mm. I'm hitting the golf course. And these are all things we can't do. 2020 certainly a different year. I met my wife at a Memorial Day barbecue, um, you know, and I remember it. We were playing beer pong together, you know. So uh, what, what, what's up with you? What are you doing this Ugh. weekend for Memorial Day, bro? Watching some ponies today, okay. watching some Bundesliga. I, honestly, I, I've gotten what to What would you point. be doing, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and we thank everybody watching us right now, but, you know. know. I'm, doing right now. I'm doing real, it all right now. I'm doing it all. I have gotten to that point where I've kind of reached my breaking point with 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 what's going on with the with the I don't want to call it the state of New York City, but it's definitely in a in a bizarro world. You know, we saw the other day that the New York Post posted this story that, you know, there could be a parallel universe where time runs backwards. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not saying that that's true or false. I really could care less if it is because it's not the universe that I'm living in. But it just seems like that is the universe that we are in. We're in some kind of bizarro world. And unfortunately, I've really settled into it. And I think that's the issue that I'm going to have when things do get back to life. I'm just so used to not doing anything now that doing something is going to come like to such a shock to me. But I, I, I just need I need something positive to happen with with, the, you know, either the news about the so, vaccine or something here in New York that changes the the kind of, you know, the way that we're approaching this. Yeah. I mean, you walk around outside and everyone's wearing masks. They're 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 ornery. They're they're on edge and nothing's open yeah. board. You know, all the businesses are boarded up and closed and. Yeah, I think we need, you know, and Memorial Day helps. I think July 4th is going to be better. I think if you ask me between now and July 4th, I really hope July 4th is when we get back to that sense of normalcy. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, everybody listening right now, watching right now, hit up Jared on DM and ask him what size he is for those bumper tables. Okay, because when Jared gets out, he's going to need those bumper tables six feet apart. He was laughing at him before. I think we need to get Jared one of those bumper tables. When we come back, we turn our attention to trying to get normal again. We go back on the field in the NFL. More news and notes, more ways to make a little bit of money because hopefully past Memorial Day and Labor Day into the fall, we'll have some football. So we'll talk about it and we'll try to find some ways to make a little bit of extra cash Memorial Day weekend. Hope you're happy. Having a good one. Hour number two of In Game Live is coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews 
with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, And I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.